My name is Susan Elliott. I don't know some of you, a few of you, um, but it's just really a privilege uh, to be able to teach today. I, um, I love Jewish history. I'm going to move my uh, table over into the light a little bit. And, um, but let's just be clear. Um, I'm not a Jewish scholar, and so I only know what I know. You might know um, some things that you can fill in. There's some things that you, when you do the research, it's like, well, some people do this, some people do that. There might be a little bit of difference. So um, if I misspeak or, you know, just, just you could ask a question. Uh, but just know uh, I'm not a Jewish scholar. I just, I love God's word. I love how it's all put together. Uh, I think some of the times that we miss things in scripture, it's because we don't understand the culture. And Mel just told me exciting news that she's going to um, be going uh, to Israel soon. And um, she's going to have even more of that culture uh, just come alive. I'm so excited. Um, I would love to go. And we actually have friends that are going on that trip. And um, they invited us, and we can't go. Uh, but there's so much to the culture that we don't understand. And so I thought I would just give you an example of um, some culture from America that you may know that you might not even be aware of. So if I said to you, may the force be with you, what do you think of? Star Wars. Okay, so now, but where did you get that? In that I didn't say anything about Star Wars. It's just something they say in the movie. And so some of you may be even thinking, I can remember as a child going to that movie and sitting in the theater. Then just recently watching it a couple months ago, thinking, that is, it's not even the same movie. Because there's all those feelings from being in the theater that you have, like you feel it in your body. Uh, so a few years ago, I had a haircut um, that was called The Rachel. What's that from? Friends. Now, how many years was Friends on? A lot of years, I don't remember. There's a lot, there's a lot that we know about that that kind of all comes rushing back to you. But if I just tell you that little, you know, the haircut. Now, when I was a little girl, I had the Dorothy Hamill. <laughs> you know, it's like a little pixie cut. Um, so some of you know that, some of you don't. So you might have to go, some of you might not even know who Dorothy Hamill is. If you're young enough, um, she was a skater. So. <laughs> But you have some cultural references that not if it, I don't, I'm not even saying what I'm meaning. I'm just giving you um, a reference. Uh, another one would be in, um, in sports sometimes they call it um, when an underdog comes and like wins everything, they call it a Cinderella story. So if, you're, if you know that, even if you know the Cinderella story, but then you try and apply it to sports, there's, an, there's a jump that you have to make. So it's like the underdog that comes up and, uh, and wins it all. My favorite cultural reference is always from The Princess Bride. <laughs> I love those movies. Does anybody have a fun um, quote from The Princess Bride? No more rhyming, and I mean it. <laughs> Does anybody want a peanut? Yep, that's it. Way to go, Linda. <laughs> As you wish. <laughs> Uh, so there's so much that we have culturally 
that sometimes we don't even know. And there's so much. So the goal of this um, study is to show you a few things in the scriptures that are cultural references um, that you might be reading through that you won't even know. So this week, we're going to talk about the feasts. Next week, uh, we're going to talk about the sacrifices. And then the third week, we're going to talk about um, the covenant. Different, there's different covenants. Uh, and they all kind of tie together. And um, they're just, but they're all separate. And they're all meaningful. So as you're reading in the New Testament, you'll be like, oh, that's, that's what they were talking about in the Old Testament. And it brings, it sheds new light on it. So um, I wrote, or I didn't write them out. I copied verses for you just as I read a verse. To save time, I thought, we'll just all have it together on our sheet, and um, it'll save a little bit of time. I have a lot of information. I hope we get to it all. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but the first verse that I have on there for you is Romans 15, 4, that says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance, that's what we're going to do today, we're going to endure through, and, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So um, everything that was written before us is for our instruction. Did anybody, um, I know we got some of the homework to you late. Uh, if you didn't do it, it's OK. Did anyone happen to look up a, um, an outline of Leviticus? OK, so um, there's all different kinds. You might have looked up a few, but it's super helpful. Has, it, has anybody ever read through Leviticus? You get <laughs> it's really repetitive. It's very repetitive. This is, I think this might be one, like obviously you should read it. You should know. It's God's word. But there's instructions in there um, for the people of Israel. And for me, it's just super helpful to have an outline. And so I just feel like in community, everybody has their thing that they do. Um, if, if we had some kind of a health issue, I would go to Bethany and say, Bethany, how can I help you? <laughs> or how can, how can you help me? Um, everybody has their thing that they do in community. And um, I just want to encourage you in that. Whatever your piece is, add to it. There's some people who make outlines of Leviticus and put them online so that you can see you don't have to read through the whole thing. At some point, you should read through it. But for our purposes, we just want to know um, that we can find all of the worship festivals in Leviticus 23. And um, it's nicely organized. When you're reading through it, it doesn't seem like it's, it doesn't seem like there's any organization to it, does it? Um, so that'll help you. We'll be um, just in the Old Testament a little bit. And uh, that outline for me is super helpful. Okay, so. If you understand the meaning of the feasts and the whole sacrificial system, which is what we're going to do uh, next week, you can understand the plan of the whole Bible. It's all right there. And God had them act it out um, so that they would remember. Uh, so the, the term feasts is ironic because there's not always a meal. The Day of Atonement is a day of fasting. <laughs> So it's not always uh, like we would think of a feast. It's not always that. It more, it, the word means more of a set time or an appointed time. And it's fascinating. If we look in Genesis uh, 1.14, that's the first time we see that God um, 
has uh, made a way for these um, feasts. It says, And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Now, that's the NIV translation because they, they don't always say it that way. Uh, but these were the Jewish people went by the, um, the lunar calendar. So the moon was what um, uh, designated their uh, the, every new month. And so that's how it's just set up right in, in Genesis that we're going to, he knew, we're going to have these feasts and that's going to be your... Um, the moon is going to be the way that you tell when, they're, when it's time. So there's seven feasts, and um, what's the number seven mean in Scripture? Perfection or completion, yes. And so um, there's seven feasts. But if you look on your um, handout, the colorful handout, you'll see there was only three times of the year that um, the, the people of Israel were required to go to Jerusalem. So you've got the spring feasts, that was one, that was considered one time, Pentecost, that's one time, and then the fall feasts, that was your third time. So those are the three times, because mostly um, the ones that are three, well the spring feast, it's really just a week, okay, so there's different things that happen. The fall feast is a little bit longer. There's, so there's three times of the year that the, all the males were required and obviously the females uh, would go with, uh, to Jerusalem to celebrate. So the sacred, this um, could also be called a sacred assembly or a convocation. And the word convocation can also mean a rehearsal. So as hopefully, I'm not sure how he's going to do the Seder, but um, normally you would act it out. It would be um, you're rehearsing, you're acting out um, what has happened in the past. So this, it was an oral society, right? So that's how they learned, let's practice and let's do it again. If you're, have you ever been in children's ministry, you know they learn best by acting it out. When we say the word uh, remember in, um, in the English language, it, uh, it has a different meaning than um, in scripture. So when we say remember, we're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But in scripture, when you're talking about remember, it has to do with your identity. So whenever you see this word in scripture, this is going to be like a cultural reference. In the Old Testament, God is constantly saying, remember, remember. So that has to do with their identity. So if you've ever told your kids, you know, whatever your last name is, like, I would tell my kids, remember, you are Elliot's. Elliot's work hard. Elliot's love God. And you do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Like I would tell my kids, that's who you are. And, and so that would prompt in them, so what are you going to do about that? It's not just remembering. I just don't want them to remember, remember like the birthday that they were born. It has to do with your identity. So for the um, Israelites, it had to do the fact that God <coughs> took, pulled them out of slavery and that he was their God, they were his people, and what should they do about that? So remember, it's not just, it's, it's a little deeper. It has to do with your identity of who you are and what you're going to do about that. We'll come across that a lot, but this was uh, why they would do the festivals. Remember, if you, um, one of the saddest verses in scripture 
is at the end of um, Joshua chapter 1. So Joshua was one of the um, spies. And um, at the end of cha um, chapter 1, I think it is, it says, uh, no one, some, I should have looked this up, no one remembered the name of the Lord. And you're like, one generation? How is it that no one remembered the name of the Lord? That's, that's mind-boggling to me. And so this is why God says, listen, we're going to remember this. Because it was an oral society, they had to tell the story. So the spring feasts, if you'll look at them, um, this is ex so exciting that we're doing this around Easter time because this will give you a little bit of uh, in-depth um, what's going on. The, the spring feasts are the, um, the picture that's around Jesus' first coming, and the fall feasts are the picture of his second coming. So this is not an end times class. We're not going to go into that, but I'm going to give you a picture of what that looks like. Okay, so we'll start with Passover. Passover um, is coming up. So that would be the fourth day of Nisan. Is that how you say it? Does anybody say it different? I don't, yes, I don't know <laughs> how it's supposed to be pronounced. Um, so it's the 14th day. And here's, um, as you guys are writing, I just want you to get the big picture, okay? We're not going to go in depth. I, um, I had previewed... Uh, this book, Celebrating Jesus in the Biblical Feasts, and I thought we could do a whole class on that. So we're doing this all in one day. So there's a lot, there's a lot that um, we're not going to cover. I just want you to get the basics and just get the feel of it. So um, you know the story of Passover. There's one Passover, and all the rest are a memorial after that. So it's the time when God rescued his people out of... Um, Egypt, slavery in Egypt. So that's a physical picture of a spiritual reality, which is what all the feasts are. It's a, phys it's a picture of God rescuing them from slavery. And as the picture for us is, he rescues us from slavery to sin. Okay, so there's always a picture, a physical picture of a spiritual truth. Um, oh, so I was going to say, so there's a... a a passage in um, Exodus where it says uh, something like, God looked down and remembered his people. And so if you're just thinking the English word remember, you look at that and you think, that's terrible. His people are in slavery. And God's like, oh, there's, there's my people. But if you think about it, it has to do with his identity. Like it was a very specific plan that he needed a nation to pull them out. And so it wasn't that he just remembered. It's just that God knew this is the time, and I am who I am, and I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. And, he, and it was the time for him to take his, um, take his people. So, as they, um, so that, is, that is a beautiful picture, um, you know, just for us to think about our, uh, how God rescues us from our bondage to slavery. Uh, we're going to learn more about the priesthood next week, but if you think about the Passover, remember each um, head of the household acted as the priest for their family, which is how God set it up, how it was supposed to be. Uh, and then also in the Passover, not the first Passover, but the memorial Passovers, uh, it shows the character of God and that the Gentiles were allowed <laughs> to participate 
uh, they decided to take the sign of the covenant, which was, do you know what that was? Circumcision. So as long as they were circumcised, they, um, that it talks about that in Leviticus, that that's, uh, God, um, anyone that ever comes to God with a genuine heart that wants to worship him, he doesn't um, prevent that. So let's talk about firstborn. That's going to be another key word, um, firstborn and first fruits. So um, in the first Passover, they had to spread the blood of an animal on the doorpost uh, in order to save the firstborn. So the firstborn, God says, is mine. It's God claims the first part. And um, as the, the picture of the lamb taking the place is that it's a life for a life. Like you, one life would redeem another life. So the life of the lamb would redeem the, um, the firstborn. So we'll learn a little bit more in the sacrifices, but we'll just touch on this right now. In scripture, very often the part represents the whole thing, okay? So um, it's, it's just a symbol that God owns it all. So we'll talk in a minute about the, the festival of the first fruits. So the, they would have the, um, the barley harvest and the first, um, I don't know what they're called, sheaves, whatever, that would, that would be um, ripe. They would take those, um, and it was a very um, elaborate ceremony. They would offer that to God. So they would hold them, the priest would hold them up. Okay, so this is going to be your wave offering. When they, when they just hold up whatever they're holding up before the Lord, um, it's the first part of this is going to represent the whole crop that's going to come. So we do this when we do tithing. We bring our first part to God as a representative of God. You own it all. I'm going to give you the first part. So first fruits and first part, uh, uh, firstborn, have to do with the part is going to represent the whole thing. And I'm going to say it again, and it's going to make more sense, but I just want to introduce you to some of those topics. Okay, so if you have the Passover on the 14th day, the next day is going to be unleavened bread. Uh, this, so leaven in the New Testament is going to be a picture of sin. All right? So... When we go through the, um, this, if you can't make it to the Seder, uh, you, can, you can download um, a Haggadah, which will walk you through the whole thing. And so part of the, this is just how, the, how to tell the story. Part of that, um, part of the Seder, part of the um, unleavened bread is they have to go through their house, like spring cleaning, and get rid of all the leaven in the house. So any bottles that have any yeast in it or crumbs that are in your couch, of, it's, a, it's a symbol of, so it's a spring cleaning that you're getting all of the leaven out of your house. And they would make a big deal about that in, in the Seder that they go through because they're acting it out because it's a picture of sin because the Israelites were supposed to be set apart. They were supposed to be different. There was a way for them to... Uh, to, to deal with their sin where other, uh, the Gentiles hadn't, they didn't have a way to get rid of their sin yet. 
so that, that's the picture of unleavened bread, is it's a picture of sin. And we'll see that. We'll look at some um, uh, verses in the New Testament that have that as we go on. So the uh, unleavened bread was also just a symbol of freedom because God says, remember, you were slaves. Remember that. So then right after uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which would be about a week, then you're going to have the Sabbath, and then you're going to have the Festival of the First Fruits. So it's all like in a one-week period that that's all going to happen. And then the First Fruits, I just explained, this was the, the first one was the barley harvest, where they would bring that uh, before the Lord, and the priest would wave that uh, as, an, as an offering. Part of all these festivals had to do with uh, the sacrifices. We're going to learn more about that next week. They, when they gave the, uh, when they gave the, sometimes they would take their the barley or the wheat. The wheat's going to be the next one. They would mix it with oil and bake it into cakes, and it was a great way to. Um, for God to allow the people to have a part. Like you don't just always bring uh, something. I, I think this is the problem with Cain. When he brought his uh, vegetables as an offering, he, if, it didn't say he prepared anything. It, didn't, you know, it obviously didn't talk about any of the normal things that you would talk about in sacrifices. So normally when you would bring, like you would bring wine before God, you're not just bringing grapes there's something that you have to do to it. So there's part that you have to do. All right, so if we look at those three feasts and, and you take and look at what that means for us today, Jesus, um, on the Passover, that was his, um, what did I do with my sheet? That was his, uh, the day he was crucified was Passover. The unleavened bread stands for when he was buried like sin was buried with him. And then the first fruits is when he rose from the dead. So he's the first fruit. He's the part that represents all of us if, if we're in him. Okay? So he's the part that represents the whole. So if God calls something holy, you're in him, that represents the whole thing. So that's the good news for us, that God sees us as we're in him as holy because Jesus is our representative. We'll see more of that as we go on. Let me just look at my uh, notes. The one thing I wanted to say in the Passover, obviously Jesus took the, the Passover and he changed it into what we celebrate every week in communion. And uh, we'll, I hope we go through the cups for the Seder. When uh, they took the third cup, which means I have redeemed you, the redeemed part is uh, the part that the lamb would take, a life for a life. Uh, that's, that's the part where Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant. That's when he holds that up. That's the third cup. And then, uh, so the fourth cup would be the uh, covenant language where God says, um, I take you to be my people. Whenever you see in scripture, uh, this is covenant language, and we miss it sometimes. God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. 
That's covenant language. That's like a deeply, this is like, this was a contract that cannot be broken. Morning. Come on in. Okay, so let me just look again. Oh, the, another uh, great thing about the, uh, the first fruit celebration is that when Jesus was resurrected, that is the only hope that we can have to be resurrected. And so if you're going to uh, do membership at VCOB, let me just tell you, this is going to be a question that's going to be on your application. Why is it important that Jesus was raised from the dead? So if you think about the part represents the whole thing, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we can all have um, confidence that we can, we can be too. Uh, let's look at a good, there's lots of good verses I have on your sheet for that. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 talks about the first fruits. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So when you see first fruits, you can think back to this first fruit offering and you'll have, you'll remember, oh, this is what they brought to the Lord as an offering as a part. The part represents the whole thing. Where's my verse that says, First uh, Thessalonians 4.14, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep, us. So that's the reason that you know that you um, have hope of a life, uh, eternal life, is because Jesus did it and the part represents the whole thing. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily go into the timing. On If you want to ask me about when you look at the scriptures, there seems to be a timing issue. Let me just tell you, it has to do with the calendar, their lunar calendar, whether you were an Essene or a Jew, there was different calendars. Uh, there was uh, different Sabbath. It says the women bought the spices. They bought them after the Sabbath, but they prepared them before the Sabbath. Well, it looks like a contradiction in scripture, but the reality is all these feasts were also called the Sabbath. So you can see we've just had three Sabbath days and then uh, as, a, as a holy convocation, and then you have your regular Sabbath day. So some of the timing issues that come in when you read your Bible um, come into that. And then it's probably also not, like our tradition is Friday to Sunday. That's probably not accurate, but that's how we do it. That's okay. So if, if any of you have um, questions on the timing issue in the scripture, it doesn't seem to line up with how we celebrate it, you can come and ask me about that. So how does Jesus fulfill the feasts? Uh, well, first of all, he fulfilled all the prophecies about him. Like the, it says, he will be our um, lamb. Uh, he represents the story in a new way. So he takes this story, and Hebrews tells us he's a, he's a, better, he's a better high priest. He's a better sacrifice. He's a better mediator of the covenant. So he um, fulfills everything that was said about him, and he represents the story in a us to us in a new way so all we have we can't understand God other than the things that we have here on earth right so we take the things that we know here on earth and um, God gives us a picture of of some of we can get a little glimpse of the divine so Passover was established to remember and proclaim what had happened and um, if we look at 1 Corinthians 11 
That's the same thing that it says about communion. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in uh, verse 24, middle of 24, it says, Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup after supper, saying this cup, so this would have been the third cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, and they all knew that this was the Passover lamb, the blood that he was speaking about. And he says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we've got that word remember. And um, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim it, the Lord's death until he comes. So this, the way that they were proclaiming it was they were rehearsing it, and they were um, remembering it. And so when we take communion, it's not just a remembrance of what Jesus did. It's because of what Jesus did, who are you? Because of what Jesus did, what's, how, how do, how, what's your standing before God, and what are you going to do about it? So think about that the next time uh, we have communion. I thought it might be fun to do communion at, maybe at the end of our um, time here. We'll see how that goes. Not today, but... Uh, in a couple weeks. I want to just quickly talk about um, symbols and types. There's lots of symbolism in the Bible, and uh, this word type, you've, you've heard, uh, you've probably heard if you've been in a ser a service in a sermon that Adam is a type of Christ. Okay, so that's a picture. So if you think about a symbol, a symbol is a one-to-one -one um, representation. Like Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Okay, that's a one-to-one -one kind of a thing. Uh, there's different types in the, in the Old Testament that kind of represent, like I said, we don't always have language to understand God. We just take our human um, way that we know how to speak and, and interact. And um, so remember um, in the desert when they raised up the bronze serpent so that the people wouldn't die? That was a type of Christ. Remember that? How they would look on it and they, um, they would be saved. Uh, the tabernacle is a type that would, um, it represents Jesus, the, um, the Holy Spirit living in us. He tabernacles with us. So those, those words will come up again and again. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between a symbol and a type. But there's a lot of symbolism that happens um, in scriptures, and you should just be aware of that. If you're reading something and you don't understand that, you just want to think to yourself, maybe this stands for something else. It'll help a little bit. So that's just real quick on that. Okay, we're going to go into, that was the spring festivals. Does anybody have any questions on that? That's a lot of information. We'll start into, um, we'll start into the next part, and if you have questions, come, you can come back to me. Okay, we're going to go over that right now. Okay. So this is a very important number. So penta means 50. Okay, so this, that was the very first, Brienne asked the question about um, the number of days in between Pentecost and the, and the first fruits. So after the first Passover, uh, Moses brought the people into uh, the land. No, he, sorry, he brought them to Mount Sinai. So you've got this whole millions of people 
who have been controlled by other people for so long, they don't really know how to function as a society. They don't, they don't know what that looks like. So at Mount Sinai, God gives them the law. And this is such a, people think it's a, um, uh, op something oppressing. This was life-giving for them to know there's three parts of the law that was given at Mount Sinai. So it was 50 days. Uh, and so it was, they, uh, the Jews would have celebrated it uh, before Jesus came as called the Feast of Weeks. So it's seven weeks, seven times seven is 49. And then the day after that would be your Sabbath. Uh, it's, it's, there's, so there were three parts of the law that were given. You've got your 10 commandments which has to do more with how you are supposed to act. And then you'll see this all in your uh, outline of Leviticus that you pulled up. Then you've got, so you've got how you're personally supposed to act, the Ten Commandments. Then you have how the laws of the, how you the religious laws, how you act before God. Here's how you give God um, the, his proper worship. And then you've got all the weird laws about how to live in community. So we read some of those weird laws, and we're like, ah, what were they thinking? Well, this was their society. God goes into every, every community and, and culture and, and, and can be honored in whatever way your culture is formed. I think sometimes here in the West, when uh, we tend to go into, um, as missionaries, into another culture, we try and oppose our Western views on them. And that's, um, that's not necessarily um, good for them. Every society, every culture can honor God. And so some of those the things that are a little strange, it's because that's what he, God's saying. In this culture, how you're doing things, how can you honor God? And then over time, uh, culture changes, and we can still honor God no matter what our culture is. So it was the giving of the law. The year 50, the number 50 means celebration. So the, the year, do you, have you heard of uh, the year of Jubilee? What, tell me what, that, what you know about that. Yep, the debts were canceled, land um, was supposed to be turned back to the original owners. Okay, but let's understand, <laughs> as far as I've been told and my research shows, there's, it never actually did happen. I've never, you can't, you can't go into the, um, the writings and see that it ever happened. So it's a little bit like our, some of the laws that we have, like our speed limit. It is a law, but it doesn't always happen. So that, that's one thing that you need to be careful about when you look in uh, and uh, when you're doing research. Like this was the law. Sometimes things happened, sometimes they didn't. Um, but we have a you know the ultimate uh, jubilee still to come. All right. So the giving of the law was how do we organize this whole thing with millions of people that we have and. This also was this, once they were in the land, they were celebrating the wheat harvest. And so there was a big, 
ordeal of coming. So obviously you can see how this has transformed. They celebrated it one way when they were in the wilderness. They, once they were in the land, they celebrated a different way. And then once Jesus came, you know, it kind of transforms, but it all still tells the story. So after Jesus came, he, um, after he rose, he, was, he um, lived among the disciples for 40 days. And then what did he tell them? Stay in Jerusalem. Stay here. Because he knows this 50 days is coming up, and that was the giving of the Holy Spirit. So there's a really uh, great verse. I think it's uh, my Ezekiel verse. Ezekiel 36, 26, that says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. Oh, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone. What were the Ten Commandments written on? And he said, I will remove that from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So that's the giving of the Holy Spirit. So that's um, in Ezekiel that it talks about that. So that is originally called the Feast of Weeks. Uh, now they celebrate Pentecost. And this is where, this is so exciting. This is where um, Jesus makes way for the Gentiles. Because before that, they could, the Gentiles could, if they took the sign of the covenant, they could um, be part of the Jewish system. But God says, now we're doing a new thing. Everyone um, is invited to believe. So that's Pentecost. That's a huge day uh, for us. Isn't it amazing that God gave the Jews everything that they needed to, to tell the Gentiles about, you know, how... The, this, the way of salvation, the new covenant. But really, it's the Gentiles that have taken that and run with it. So exciting to see, um, you know, that we get to be a part of that. So this is kind of a fun fact. If you think about it, when Jesus came, it was the time in history that, um, that God had prepared the way for the, news, the good news to travel. So you had the people, that you'll we'll read a verse that says, God's like, I am so sick of your festivals because they were, they didn't really have the, they were doing what they needed to do for their festivals, but they, their heart really wasn't in it. And so um, I lost my train of thought. What I was going to tell you about, <laughs> this is my brain on thyroid medication. Uh, it'll come back to me. That's so funny. What were we talking about right before that? We were talking about how Jesus made a way for them. He hated their festivals. Yes, thank you. We're going to go back to the history of it. And so he, the, they were taken away to captivity in Babylon, and then there was a couple more takeovers. I don't remember. The Greeks eventually were kind of in charge of this, the big area. So you've got a lot of Jews that were Hellenistic Jews, which they're just Greek-speaking Jews. And then the Romans took over. And the Romans built roads. And you had a common currency. And you had, um, you had safety because they had all of their armies. So it was a more civilized area. This was the time that Jesus came because it allowed uh, people to travel. Plus, you already had people, you already had Jews that were scattered in different parts. And so when Paul went, 
they already had a, an established group of people in another community. It was the perfect timing for Jesus to come. I, 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 when I learned that, I thought it's so interesting because we think of the 400 years between the Testaments, like what was happening? God was building his, um, waiting for the right time and building a way for people to travel. Okay, so uh, this Pentecost is at the end of spring. Then you've got the summer and the harvest time. So this represents us right now, right here. This is the ingathering of the Gentiles. This is the harvest time. And then next you have, uh, we have the fall feasts. Does anybody have any questions so far before we jump into the fall feasts? You guys are doing great. That's a lot of information. Okay, we'll go quickly through the, um, through the fall feasts. So this is the seventh month. The first day of uh, Tishra is the Feast of Trumpets which is the seventh month. I thought it's a little bit like how we do it in women's ministry, how we start our year in September, right? It's kind of our ministry year, but the new year is in January. So it's kind of their religious year and their calendar year were a little bit different because this was the seventh month, but it was, this was the new year for them. Uh, this was, so Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year. So the harvest is complete and the people and the land should be at rest. And so this is a, a great celebration. Did anybody um, look up your and see what your shofar looks like, the ram's horn? Mel brought one for us. Can you believe it? <laughs> Isn't that cool? Can you blow it? Can you blow it? You're the perfect person. You've been trained to do it. I was like, really? She's like, okay, so I can't do this very well. So you blow out of the side of your mouth. You don't put your mouth on the, on the mouthpiece. So this is a ram's horn. This is a real horn. Mike said, does it still smell? It's like, you have to leave this out like in a garage for a year before. You have to leave it in a garage for a year because otherwise it will still smell. So you kind of blow out of the side of your mouth. Like, yeah. Well, just give me a minute, okay? <laughs> you, blow it, you blow it when you're ready, and I'll talk about trumpets, okay? <laughs> She's trying to blow it. There you go. There you go. Now, can you imagine... So obviously there had to be people that would practice that, right? So they would use this ram's horn to announce. It announced every, um, when it was the new month. Was, isn't that great? Like you didn't have the, you didn't have any kind of a, I, I don't know how, I don't know how else you would know that it was the new month. So they would, they would blow the shofar. So during the Feast of Trumpets, they would blow it longer and louder as they were getting ready for that. Now, if you want to study trumpets in the Bible, that's a really, there's a lot in there because uh, the people at the uh, Mount Sinai, the people were like so afraid of God. They were like, do not let him talk to us, but do, just don't. Um, and so the, the horn represented God's voice in battle. And uh, they got to be calling 
they got to be calling um, God the horn of their salvation. That's in Psalm 18. And in Luke, um, Zacharias called um, God the horn of his salvation. So his, the voice of God was associated with these battle calls. And um, they also used the trumpets for assembling worship and breaking camp. So can you imagine how loud you'd have to blow that? Yeah. That, um, and it was also an alarm for battle. So they would listen to these horns. That was how they knew what to do. Did you know what they were? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you just and didn't know why they were. Oh, I knew why they were trying to get them attention to something that, I don't know, that Jesus was coming back at any second. So, so Brienne was but telling us. I videotaped it if I would have known, oh. along with, like, Batman and all the other people that were standing there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Brienne's telling us a story about, I'm going to do this for the, for the recording. Brienne's telling us a story about how when she was on vacation, there were three men blowing uh, the shofar that was extremely loud because it would have to be for millions of people to hear. So that's a trumpet? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, what that's not a, I was always picturing a trumpet. It's, this is what they used, the shofar. The ram's horn, that's, that's what they had. And so I don't know when the, all the musical instruments came in, as far as I know. We should look it up and see if I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, so who was the first person who thought of that? <laughs> Okay, so the um, so this was a very important uh, feast because this is all leading up to the Day of Atonement. So you've got the uh, this is a big deal. It's ten days where they celebrate this Feast of Trumpets, and there's sacrifices every day. Next week, I'm going to bring you um, a list of you know they get up to like eighty uh, animals that they're sacrificing, and it's a uh, I cannot imagine being a priest. Back then, it was a special gift (laughs) and a special calling. But this was the time that they were preparing for the Day of Atonement. Now, uh, the Jews, if you look in the Old Testament, um, what we would know as like going to heaven or, you know, what we would have thought, what we think about the afterlife, eternal life, they didn't, it wasn't really well developed for them. They didn't really have a concept of what was happening. And so the Jews thought, if you look, um, this isn't written in the Bible, but in some, some of the rabbinic lit- uh, literature, the rabbis wrote that the, uh, I'm trying to look for it here, they, they assumed that on the Day of Atonement, that's when their, um, their fate was sealed. 
So they're taking these 10 days to do a spiritual house cleaning. Remember we talked about how in the spring feast you're doing a, um, an actual you know, house cleaning, getting the leaven out. This is a spiritual house cleaning where they, they thought that their destiny was sealed in, at the Day of Atonement. So this, you took all this time to make everything right. And while you could, you could do repentance throughout the year, this was the time that you, uh, this was what these 10 days were all about. Okay. So like I said before, the, uh, they would celebrate the new year with apples dipped in honey. And so that's why you have apples and honey to dip in if you want to. Make sure you guys eat those up because we can't take them home. We can, but they'll, you know, <laughs> they go bad. I'm just going to look over my notes to make sure I've got everything. So the seventh month, seven is the number of completion. This is the seventh month. Spiritual house cleaning, yep. And so this is when your death, they thought, this is when your destiny was going to be sealed in the book of life. Okay, just want to make sure. I have a lot of notes So this was the time uh, when the Jews made things right, not with um, just men, but with God. And so they did kind of three steps, uh, the Jewish uh, tradition kind of records. And this is great for kids, just to think these three steps. I, we probably do these. Uh, as, a, as a young mom, I was probably a little harsher than I should have been. But I always hated it when um, you'd have a play date and another mom would say, tell them you're sorry. And they're like, sorry. And I was like, do not throw me your sorry. <laughs> like, that's not an actual, that's not an actual, you're not actually sorry. So you'd make your kids go through some of these steps. Now, the, the, the third step is restitution. Sometimes you can't always, you can't always do that. But, so here's the steps. You would recognize and admit that you're wrong. I think we all know these. You recognize, yep, that was wrong, I did it. You'd renounce the action. I shouldn't have done that. Yes, I, that's what I did. I shouldn't have done it. You make restitution if you can. Uh, and then you promise not to repeat the offense. So the Jews were go doing this over and over. Can you imagine what a healing time that was for their community when you, they really thought, okay, my destiny is going to be sealed. I've got to make this right with everybody. Uh, that's, that's kind of the steps that they went through. I love the word, um, the Hebrew translation of the word repentance. It means to turn around and come back. It's a great, to turn around and come back. That's what the Hebrew word for repentance, teshuva, means. And you'd be surprised to know, not really, that that was Jesus' opening message. Repent for the kingdom of God uh, is near. That's in Matthew 4, 17. So this was the pattern that Jesus taught us, right? Getting right with your brother before you brought your gift to the altar. So you have 10 days that you're preparing, and then you have the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Kippur? I don't know how my, trans <laughs> my pronunciation is. So that was 10 days later. So this was the only required day of fasting, for the, this was the whole nation. So this was a day of godly sorrow and repentance and fasting before God. We read in um, James, 
4, 8. Um, this is, this is kind of what they were thinking. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. This is kind of what was going on at that time um, because it was a very solemn day. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. It wasn't, it wasn't a happy festival. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So that's kind of the thought of what was going on at this time. It also taught God's people once again about rest. The word Sabbath means rest. We can read all about this in Leviticus 16. If you didn't read, uh, this was not on your homework, but you can read all about that. They would greet one another with this phrase, may your name be inscribed in the book of life. That's a great greeting. May your name be inscribed in the book of life. So the word atonement normally means to cover. Sometimes it can mean to cancel. So for them, uh, their sin was just uh, covered. It wasn't canceled. So they had to time and time again bring their sacrifices. So if you think about this, you had, I had a, a, a gal in one of my classes one time who was a Jewish person, and she described the Day of Atonement in the Jewish community. She said it was amazing. You, for the first time, you felt clean. So she wasn't a Messianic Jew. She didn't believe in Jesus uh, while she was doing, while she was um, part of these ceremonies. And she said that Day of Atonement, it was the one day of the year that you knew that your conscience was cleansed from, from all sin, the one day of the year. Now, when we look at sacrifices, you'll find there you, you, can, you, can, make, um, you can make restitution for your sin. You can bring sacrifices to um, put you back in a right standing with God. But there was, as far as I can tell, someone correct me if I'm wrong, there was no sacrifice for um, willful, disobedient sin. So like for David, when David said, oh, God, if there was a sacrifice, I, but there's no sacrifice for this with a sin with Bathsheba, you could not, there, there was no way to cover that. So you could, you could be back in a right standing before God, but this Day of Atonement, this was it. Can you imagine? If that was your mindset and that was your future, you can see why they thought this was the day that you were inscribed in the Book of Life, how cleansing and freeing that would be. Uh, but this gal said, but you just knew the next day and the next week were coming, and then you carried the weight of all of your, your, your guilt and your conscience and so the, uh, the book of Hebrews talks about uh, how um, God um, cleanses your conscience. Like you don't have to carry, you don't have to carry that. I just recently heard the example of, um, think about a newborn baby, no sin. And as a mother, you're looking to this eyes of the baby, never had done, not done anything wrong. They're the con their conscience is pure, <laughs> it's cleansed, and that's honestly our standing before God. God doesn't, does, he doesn't assign to us sin. 
Christ takes all of that. And so our conscience can be cleansed. Now, of course, we do bring sin like garbage. We do bring that into our own lives. And so we can live with the, the garbage. You know, if you brought garbage into your house and just stored it up, you can do that. But it affects you. It affects other people. That's like the sin that we bring into our life and we harbor. You've got to take the garbage out every now and again. But God doesn't hold that against you. Before God, if, you are, if you've trusted in him, um, if you're in a new covenant relationship with him, he doesn't see that in your life. It's not on your account. Okay, so here's what they would actually do. They would take two goats, and they would cast lots to see which one. They were going to sacrifice one. Here's a spoiler alert. Both these goats are going to die. Okay, But they would take one, and they would sacrifice it. Here's a difference. So in the sacrificial system, you would lay your hands on whatever animal was going to be sacrificed as it was representing you. Remember, a life for a life. This, it represented me. This is the only time, this other goat, where the priest would lay his hands on the goat and transfer the sin of all the people to the goat. This is the only time. So when we're talking next week about sacrifices, they're not transferring sin. They're just representing. Uh, one's a representative. But the second goat, the priest um, would lay the his hands on it and, and transfer all the sin of all the people to it. They would tie a scarlet thread on it so you knew this was the goat. Okay, so now you did not want this goat. They would send it out of the camp, send it away. You did not want this goat coming back. <laughs> so in the rabbinical um, writings, it says uh, there would be a priest that would follow it <laughs> 12 miles and push it off a cliff. <laughs> oh. You did not want that goat to come back into the camp bearing the sin of all the people. And so they would not only, can you imagine these? Anyway. So you had the scarlet thread tied around the goat's neck, and you also had it tied around um, the door in the temple. And then it is said that when the, um, when the, after the goat, the sins were um, atoned for, the scarlet thread in the temple would turn white, which it is said that after Jesus died, it never did that again, although the Jews continued to do this ceremony. So that's just in my reading that I came up, uh, that I discovered that. All right, so that is the Day of Atonement, a very solemn day. Then after, let's see, wait. So if we look on how Jesus uh, fulfills this, you've heard of the already and the not yet. So like Jesus has already atoned for our sin. But the not yet is there will be a day when we don't even have the ability to sin. I so often think when I'm, you know, running up against just normal people in my life and trying to get projects done, like, wouldn't it be amazing if none of us had the ability to even have a sinful thought? <laughs> How much more could we get done? How much more joyful things would be? Uh, so while Jesus has already... Um, canceled all, all sin to our account, there will be a day 
when there, we won't even have the ability to sin. So for us, uh, we could need to do this continual spiritual um, housekeeping, just like they did at the 10 days before the Day of Atonement. We always need to be just taking out the garbage. Like, to me, that's the picture of sin. Wouldn't it be terrible if Christ came back and you're just sitting in a, you know, a pile of garbage? Like, just take that out and your relationship with him, it, it, it affects your relationship. So that's our responsibility. So the reality is we don't know when Jesus will come back. We don't know what year he will come back. And this particular feast happens over, um, you didn't know when the moon was going to, you know, what day the moon was going to show uh, to be the Day of Atonement. They would obviously blow the shofar to announce when it was the Day of Atonement. So this is a picture of when Christ will come back. Obviously, um, Jesus said, we don't know the day or the hour because the, the feast uh, kind of changed. My guess is it will be during uh, this feast time. But the reality is the Lord can do anything with time. He can come at any time that he wants. It's just a picture of um, what it's going to look like. So you can read in Revelation 19 uh, about the, um, the, you know, when the Lord will come back uh, with the trumpet. And uh, I think that, like I said, this is not an end times class, but the Day of Atonement will be the time when uh, sin is no more. And then you have the Feast of Tabernacles or booths. So this is, remember uh, the scripture said, um, Jesus came and tabernacled among us where there's going to be a day again that uh, we are going to live with him. So they would celebrate this. This one for the Jewish people was a day where they would create um, booths or tents. You, you probably want to think of it as a tent of just like sticks. And it was just a loosely constructed um, shelter, not really anything safe. But they did celebrate this for like what, seven days. And it was a reminder of their temporary housing when they were wandering in the wilderness. So that was the symbol that they were um, remembering. Their, um, so it's called Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. Remember when uh, in Matthew, when, Peter, when Moses and Elijah came and Peter said, oh, can I, can I build you three shelters? In my mind, I think this is what he's, he's thinking. This is how we celebrate Moses. We, we build booths. Is, that, is this what we're supposed to be doing? Is this the time? Um, I think that's, you know, and some, um, I obviously did not come up with that on my own. Some commentators believe that uh, Peter's not as dumb as sometimes we make him out to be. He's just trying to put it all together. Is this the time? And we have the advantage of looking back. So Jesus is going to fulfill this feast when he comes again to take us to our rest. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked in Hebrews about uh, how Abraham didn't put down roots because he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So he didn't have a, a great concept of what the after, afterlife looked like, but he knew um, God, you know, he's going to be with God. And that was what he was looking for, forward to. So during this last ceremony, you had uh, 
through all these ceremonies, you had like lots of sacrifices and lots of uh, real, uh, ceremonial things that you would do when you'd bring up the uh, sheaths of the for the first fruits. You'd have a golden basket that you would bring it in. It was all ceremonial. We don't need to know all those things, but a couple of the ceremonies are important. On this one, one was the pouring of the water. So they would um, have a big um, golden vessel of some kind that they would have water in, and they would pour. The priests would pour out water as a a symbol of their dependence on God to provide the rain. Okay, so if you can imagine this ceremonial thing happening, they're pouring this out, and in John 7, 37, it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, so now we know which feast this is, uh, the, uh, the last day that all this happened, they're doing this again. Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Forever, whoever believes in me, as the scripture have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Can you imagine what people said, what was happening? He was telling them, I am the reality that all of this is pointing to. These are all a type of, of Christ or um, uh, could the water. Obviously, Jesus uses time and time again. He's the living water. So then another thing that they would do is they would light the temple uh, menorahs in the evening and of course if you're in the it's in the evening everybody else is going to have their own light right to see where they're going to get to and from their camp so if you looked at the city this would be the picture of the city on the hill uh, where that was just a light the and so the whole thing would have been just completely lit up and then in John 8 12 just a few verses later Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So all of these uh, fall festivals have been par fulfilled in part, but not completely. So like I said, I don't, it's not a, a class on, on the end times, but we can see it's a picture of how Christ is going to come back, all those symbols and all those things. So as you read through your New Testament, you can see some of those things and, and it'll spark your memory for, ah, that was something in Leviticus <laughs> that we probably haven't read through very carefully because it's repetitive. But when you can just kind of step back and say, oh, here's the categories of what was happening. Now we're getting late. Uh, just know that uh, the... The weekly Sabbath was also a festival uh, or a feast. It was also a feast time. And we know that that is a symbol of rest, right? And it says that it's um, the Sabbath was a picture of Jesus and that it was, it was a shadow of Jesus because Jesus brings you rest. And there's, there's actually five different kinds of rest. There's uh, when God rested, uh, when they came into the land, um, the, the, that they brought it was restful to be in the land, right? Not wandering. Um, so the Sabbath was given to them as a covenant of rest. And then Jesus is our rest. And then we're going to have ultimate rest again. Okay, so there's all, all different kinds of rest uh, that God holds up. And the, and the Sabbath is a picture of that. That's a lot of information. I have more written down, but... Uh, I'm not going to, I'll just, we'll end with this. 
Unfortunately, it all came down to this in Amos where God says, I hate and I despise your feasts and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. And then in Isaiah, it also says, your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me and I am weary of bearing them. So these were pictures that God gave to the people of how to act out God's faithfulness. And the reality is they didn't have the Holy Spirit in there guiding them. It was just outward. It was just outward um, rituals that they were doing. And so we're going to learn more about this in the weeks to come. You guys have been so great. That's a lot of information. Uh, I'm going to close out now. I think the thing that you could pray for each other in your groups just would be, uh, we don't have to go around and take prayer requests. We could just pray in groups and just pray for spiritual formation in one another. The fruits of the spirit. Pray for um, that we would be more like Christ as a community so that we could um, go out into our community and, and just make a difference and uh, be effective in our witness. I think that's a great thing to just always pray for one another. Are there... Did I ask already, are there any questions? Did I, it's possible that I misspoke on something. If you have another question, you can come up and ask me. But uh, let me just pray. God, thanks for this time. God, I just pray that you would help us to see you in a new way, in a different way. Uh, during this Easter season, God, help us to honor you in the way that you would want to be honored. God, I pray that our celebration is... Um, genuinely from our hearts out of love that it would be honoring to you that our lives would be a, a sweet fragrance to you and that you would take our efforts and just uh, multiply them for your kingdom god we ask all these things in your name amen